Amen. All right, the last time we were together, we talked about, a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about um, how we use the Bible to interpret our obedience. And tonight, I'm going to spend a few moments uh, having a conversation about resetting how we use the Bible to interpret the past to impact our present. See, most people, especially the longer that you've been a Christian or the longer that you've been in church, um, you're going to struggle with this issue of dealing with the past because all of us, all of us have a problem interpreting the past. We don't, we're not, we're biased. We like to see the past the way we like to see it. Every single one of, all people, we, we romanticize certain things about the past or we magnify certain things about the past and it has great influence influence on the present and a lot of Christians especially who have been in church or around church for a long time see the past uh, like Uncle Rico clearly this is going to be a first You know the, the educational documentary, Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, just cancel everything I'm about to say. Well, in this, in this magnificent piece of artwork, there is a character named Uncle Rico. And Uncle Rico solidifies the danger of romanticizing the past because he's a grown man probably 40 years old and he's still dreaming about high school football and all the things that would have happened if the coach would have put him in and he's it's become bizarre to the extent that he thinks he can throw a football over a mountain range but he can hum a stake very well I will say that but it's it's a it's a silly illustration, but it's not too far-fetched from what, the way a lot of people get tangled up uh, dealing with the past. I would say that one of our greatest dangers in the pursuit of Christ's likeness is romanticizing the past. And a lot of times we spiritualize the romanticizing, and it's dangerous. And oftentimes unhealthy. Think of the, the, the incredible damage that we've seen. I mean, I was just almost overwhelmed with 30 years of memories of people who have trashed their lives. Just flushed them down the toilet. Their families, their kids, their marriages... Their jobs, their fine, everything, because they romanticize the past. You know, longing for the past has led to abandoned families, sidetracked careers, squandered finances. Think about how many people 
uh, look, it, Uncle Rico is a silly illustration, but, but how many people have I seen get tangled up in the past on Facebook, reconnect with somebody that they went to high school with, and throw their whole family away? That's just Uncle Rico. That's all it is. It's not, it's not any more bizarre than thinking you can throw a football over a mountain range. For Christians looking back with rose-colored glasses will tear apart churches, obliterate contentment, and destroy legacies. People do crazy things. And uh, they, they trash their witness. They... they do untold damage to their uh, relationship that they have with God. Think about how you respond to things you don't like. Think about it. You don't, you don't like everything here. Think about how you respond to things you don't like, and there, there's a great example. And why don't you like them? Because you have some idea that you think a different way would be better, and where did you come up with that idea? And so imagine, you know, that, that sometimes I wonder, like, there's so many examples of this, but imagine, uh, imagine the nightmare of, I mean, not just for me, but for you. Imagine the nightmare of, of me being, having to, to preach and be the worship leader. Can you imagine how fun that would be? Man. But I sometimes wonder, like, I think it would be a great opportunity for, for me to have to get on an antidepressant, if that were the case. Because I would look out there and I would see people who just choose not to sing. It's a fascinating thing. And they really think it's about them. They really do. You know how many verses are in the Bible? Commands? that are in the Bible to praise God. And yet people just, you know why? Because it's all about you. See, the question, no one, who, we, no, no one should care. There should only be one question in the room. This is just one example. Just one question. The only question in the room that matters is, does God like this song? That's the only question that matters. Do these words exalt him? That's the only thing. I don't care if you're banging on a bongo, clicking two sticks together. If all the strings on Steve's guitar break and there's only one and he's up there going boing, 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 it doesn't matter. It, it, it it's, doesn't matter. It's not about you or me or any of us. I mean, if you 
if, if people treated other people the way they treat God, this, the person who comes to church thinking about themselves, what do, what do you do? You throw a birthday party for your kids and bring your favorite kind of cake? Is that what you do? You buy things for your family members that you like for Christmas? Is that what you do? Think about how bizarre that is. And yet all of us have come to church and intersected with things we didn't like and then, and then just, you know, And so much of it is because we've romanticized something else. We just have this way about us. And we all do it. We all do it. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.10. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. The smartest man that ever lived said that that's a that's an unwise thing to say. See, the, the the question is not was the past better? I'm not trying to tell you that the past wasn't better. I don't really care. I have to struggle with the same thing. I'm I'm preaching to me as much as you. It doesn't matter if my past was better or worse or that's not the point. What, the point is, I'm here today. That's the point. And we have to deal with this with whether we're talking about uh, whatever, our, whatever parts of our past we're talking about. I mean, a lot of us carrying around all this baggage from our, our past, and we're dragging it into our present. Maybe you're romanticizing the bad things. Because they've become, you know, the, the bad things that you've been through or the bad things that you've done or the bad, actually have become a crutch. So you romanticize. We don't just romanticize good things. We blow bad things out of proportion. We, ne we can never seem to get over them. We can never seem to deal with them. We can never, what's the problem here? What are we doing? What's going on? Ignorance of the past can lead to insanity in the present. And see, by ignorance of the past, it doesn't mean that you don't know the past. What if you know the past, but you know the past wrongly? There's hundreds of verses in the Bible, in particular in the New Testament, and dozens of statements by Jesus that deal with this very thing that, that you've all read multiple times and probably never stopped and thought about. Hmm. In Luke 11, at the end of chapter 11 of Luke, I mean, Jesus goes on a rant. And he is just ripping the Pharisees to shreds. I mean, it's just, whoa, 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 whoa. And he says things to them like in verse 47. He says, woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. That's kind of a harsh translation, tombs. What, what he's talking about is monuments. Now think about this. They knew the past. 
But they built monuments to the biblical... These are Jewish religious leaders who would build monuments to the Old Testament prophets that their ancestors murdered. Like they knew they lived. They knew the history of them. They knew what the Bible said about them. But they had... They were ignorant of, of, you see how bizarre that is? That's what we can do when we get, when we don't, we, don't, we don't read the past correctly. See, when we become a Christian, the Bible should shape all the areas of our life, including the way we see the past, the way we interpret our past, the way we interpret the things that we've seen and experienced and been through and how it affects our present. And all of that should be impacted by the Bible. All of it. You know, we, uh, we have these memories of things. And, and you know, you, you fall victim, quite honestly. I mean... just easy to be in a conversation isn't it and just talk about how man you know things are so bad they are but my question is when were they not when were they not I mean really when when was it so good I mean everyone who grew up in church grew up in a messed up church filled with messed up people in a messed up culture Everyone, as long as there's been a church. We just call it different things. We, we, have, we have new technology that makes things more, maybe more outrageous or more, you know, disgusting or more. But it's still the same thing that's always existed. It's not new. Is it? It's not new. It's not different. It's not, and even the, even the outlandish things that are happening in our country today that make you just think, like, what is going on? That's not new. It's not new. It's in the Bible. New Testament churches lived in cultures that had bizarre things going on, just like the things we're seeing today. See, the same thing is true about Every church in the Bible. Every church in the Bible. Every one of them. So I think the first way to, to illustrate the problem that we should, you know, that will help us tonight is to think about how when we're reading the Bible, it's important to discern the difference between prescriptions and descriptions. That's very important. Because that is one of the key things that throws people off course in managing their, their own personal history and understanding what the Bible is telling you about today and how to understand your, you know, the past. So, just a quick definition so you know. A prescriptive passage of Scripture directs us on how we should live today. 
It's a passage like Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's for all people in every culture, time, and place. That's, that's a general revelation of God to all people in all places at all times. Very simple. Everyone knows that. That's easy. It's the descriptive passages that get us in, into trouble. A descriptive passage describes an instruction given to a particular person, time, culture, or place, and it might be uh, directive to perform that action today. It might not be. It could be. It could not be. You have to discern that. You have to understand that. I mean, you look at 1 Timothy 5.23, where Paul tells Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. I mean, imagine if you, if you did that today, you're a dummy. You're just dumb. I mean, seriously. Like if we were talking and you were like, I got all these stomach problems, but you know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, so that's what I'm doing. I'm like, are you serious right now? In other words, do you think that Paul would have said that to Timothy if Rite Aid would have been on the corner with some Pepto-Bismol? I mean, seriously. Do you really think that? Or when some moron is trying to justify their alcohol problem to me and they quote that verse, I'm like, are you serious right now? Are you serious? You think that's what Paul is commending Timothy to do is be a drunkard, which the Bible has two dozen statements against? Come on, no. But you have to, okay, those are easy. Here's a great example of where and how easy it is to get sidetracked. Look at Acts chapter 2. Famous passage of Scripture about the early church. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing those proceeds to all and as any had need. And day by day they were attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. And what it's showing us is, like if you're reading that and you're like, and you're thinking, well, now what am I reading right now? Here's what you're reading. You're reading what would happen if ordinary people like me and you were filled with the Holy Spirit and we'd never seen anybody do church before. That's what we would do. See, they didn't have any model to follow. So that's what they did. That's what that is. Right? Okay? Yeah. And there's so many beautiful things about that. And so, you know, I've preached about all the components of that that are amazing and wonderful that certainly should be brought into our present and should be a part of, of what we do and the way we do things that are still going today, 2,000 years later. But let's underline some sections in here, okay? 
So in verse 43, underline or circle, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So you should do that at the end of 43. Then in 44, you should underline and had all things in common at the end of 44. Uh, in verse 46, underline day by day and the, the temple together, attending the temple together. So let's just take those examples. Won't even have fun with the selling all your possessions part. Is that a blueprint for how church should be today? Where's the signs and wonders being performed? Where are the apostles? They're dead. Where's the signs and wonders? You think that only happens in my office when no one's around? You know, I'm doing all kind of hocus-pocus stuff, you know. Well, where is it at? How many of you live in a commune with a bunch of other church members? You're all piled up in a big house together like some weird Mormons. Sharing all your food. Oh, yeah. Hey. There it is right there. Acts chapter 2. Amen. Got it. Right on. Yeah. So we're having a big announcement to make. Um, we're going to start having church every day. Yeah. Let's reel that in for a second. Just reel that in. I do need to sleep. You know, where, what, what happened to every day? Where'd that go? I'll do that. Not eating each other's houses every day. Not selling our stuff. Furthermore, this passage of Scripture, that most of the time when you hear it talked about or whatever, is lifted up as this great example of what we should all be. Well, well what's the whole... Let's don't be ignorant about history. What's the whole history here? What happened in the church of Jerusalem? See, what happened was, just prior to this happening, you have Acts 1.8, where the Bible says, Jesus says, hey, listen, you stay here, sit tight, until you get the Holy Spirit, because He's going to come, you're going to get the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what happened was the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and it was amazing, and everything was amazing because there were signs and wonders, and everybody was like having this amazing fellowship, and all this amazing stuff was going on. And so guess what happened? Nobody left. Everyone stayed in Jerusalem. 
And you know why they were selling all the possessions and taking care of who had needs and all that? Because nobody left. If you go back and read what was going on at Pentecost, you had people in Jerusalem from all over the place. Then they all get filled with the Spirit, and then they all start having this amazing time, and then no one left. And they forgot all about Acts 1.8. They completely ignored Jesus' command in the Great Commission. They stayed there. And so, you know, when we're talking about Paul taking up the, the offering in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, all that conversation we've been having months ago, who was he taking up the offering for? The church in Jerusalem was in great poverty. Wonder why they were in great poverty? Because no one left. They disobeyed God. And so what happened? It, it seems coincidental, doesn't it? Acts 1.8, God had to intervene and solve the problem in Acts 8.1. He reversed the course in Acts 8.1. And there arose a great day of persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of what are the regions? Well, wait a second. I thought they were already supposed to be in those regions. God put them where he said he was going to put them. But they didn't go willingly. They didn't go obediently. And so the point is, Again, now let's think this through. Look, look at all this teaches us about the past right here. Look at all the things in here that are descriptive. And look at the things that we can, we can learn about history here. That me and you are standing around in Acts chapter 8. And our brother and friend Stephen is being stoned to death. And we are going, this is the worst day that ever happened. This is horrible. It's been so good. Oh, think of all the amazing things that have been going on in our lives, in our recent history since Pentecost. It's been, everything's been going amazing. And now everything's going terrible. Is it really going terrible? Is it really going terrible? Let's, let's, let's ask Stephen. When we get to heaven, we can ask Stephen, Hey, Stephen, was that the worst day of your life? What do you think he's going to say? Best day ever. And it was horrible. Everything was bad. Oh, and guess what? We got bad news. We all got to pack up and we got to move out. And we got to go home to where we are. And we got to do, and it's terrible. And, and you know what? Everyone is scattering, moaning and complaining and whining and obeying God. Don't even know what God's doing. They don't even see that God's actually executing His perfect will. You be careful how you judge your circumstances. 
And remember, you can't, me and you don't have the capacity to say something's bad unless we have some framework. At, remember these sermons? Unless we have some framework to balance it against. The only way I can say this is bad or this is good, I have to have some. And so what do we do? When something happens, where do we, where do, where do we, we can't reach forward and grab something to compare it to, can we? We reach, that's what we do. The past has huge implications on how me and you discern what God's doing in our lives today. How many people have squandered away countless opportunities and years and decades of their life just thrown away usefulness in the kingdom of God because they were misreading their circumstances? I wonder. What if we began to read Scripture with some clarity and some eyes and we started thinking about things in a way that honors the Bible and go, hmm, okay, how does the gospel impact this? See, this this seemingly amazing, great Acts chapter 2 church Well, the truth is they ignored the Great Commission. They stayed in Jerusalem and ran out of money. And they only, listen, they only reached people that were like them. And here's how we know that. Because what happened was, remember, there were people from all over the place that started speaking in different tongues. And so we had this great unity and diversity on the day of Pentecost. It was amazing. But did it last Keep reading. What happens? What's the big problem that Peter faces? Oh, he's standing up and preaching a sermon, and the church is growing by leaps and bounds, and it's amazing. But here, but you got to read between the lines because you keep reading, and there's a problem. And the problem is, is that he believes that if you're not a Jew, you can't get saved. And the same thing is happening with Paul. Paul thinks the same thing. So much so that when Cornelius gets saved, the first Gentile, all the church leaders have to have a council and come together and figure out what to do. And even then, after they had a conversation about it, they all disband and half of them still think you got to subscribe to the Jewish law and custom in order to be a New Testament Christian. It's not that pretty of a picture. There's some flaws in there. There's some problems in there. I wonder how many people read Acts chapter 2 and just think, man. I want to be there. Well, 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 I don't know. I mean, I'm curious, but at the end of the day, you know what? I want to be where God has me. That's where I want to be. Because I feel like he knows best. So if he wanted me somewhere else, I'd be somewhere else, right? So what about us? What about us? See, that's, that's, the, that's the church of the past. Well, what about us? 
One of our biggest spiritual problems is this. We want God to do something new while we keep doing the same old thing. This happens all the time. You, I mean, people, people actually think that I like change. No one really likes change. I just force it. You have to or you'll die. You have to. It's just a core understanding that I have of who God is and how God works. You have to. I have to change. If I don't change, I mean, I, I panic. I've got to change. I've got to ask myself every six months, am I different than I was six months ago? And if the answer is no, I mean, we got a major problem. Something is bad wrong. There's not going to be a year that I'm going to look back and go, yeah, I'm pretty much the same as I was in December. I'm the same as I was in January. That's unacceptable for me. Unacceptable. It's unbiblical. I understand myself to be a living, breathing, growing spiritual entity. So I'm changing continuously. I don't always know all the ways I'm changing. I don't always understand all the things that are going on. But I'm telling you one thing. I can tell the difference between here and here. And look, it's not always. I'm not saying is the difference between here and here good in my opinion or bad in my opinion or rate on a scale of 1 to 10. What? That's, not my, that's not my business. Here's my business. Is it different? Is it different? Am I moving? Am I moving in a direction that's towards God? I mean, I just feel like you can answer that question. But there's so many people running around. You want God to do something new, but you never do anything new. That, to me, blows my mind. Like, you do the same things you've always done. Nothing's changed, including you. Like, you got to challenge yourself. You got to broaden your horizons. You got you to gain new insight and new things. You got to learn new things. You got to push. We want God to change our circumstances without us having to change at all. You know, a lot of, a lot of times what activates God's movement in our lives is our movement isn't that right like how many times have you been reading the bible about some amazing thing that god did in somebody's life now not all the time because you can't put god in a box but how many times have you been reading the bible and you're reading about somebody in the bible and god does something amazing in their life and in the context of your reading, you're, you're discerning and understanding that God moved in reaction to their movement. See, just that right there would be like a giant red light that goes off in my head, like, bing. That's important information. Now I think to myself, 
You ever ask yourself, like, what's, what's, what's one thing God wants me to do today? What's one thing? What's one thing I can change today? One. What's one area of my life that I know God's been pushing on me, but I've been a little resistant and I try not to think about it? What is it? Why don't you do that? What in the world? Why don't we do it? And you know what we do? We're like, well, God, if you'd fix this and this and this, then I'd do that. Oh. That has a 0% chance of working. All that is is mocking God. And he will not be mocked. It will never work. See, think about this. I know I'm getting on some of y'all's toes, but it's all right. It's, it's good. They need gotten on. It's good. Routines are genuinely a good part, important part of growth. But this is where you got to be careful. When your routine becomes a routine, danger. Danger. That's when it's dangerous, right there. See, we, we love and we teach and we advocate spiritual disciplines and, the, and, we're, and the whole, our whole process of discipleship is built on that. But let me tell you something. If your if you're routines that once were leading to growth in your life are now just routines, what are you doing? You need to make some adjustments. In other words, I don't I, I feel like so many people just I don't know, are just like just confused by this. Like you you know you're in a, a rut. Maybe you would use that term. You're like in a spiritual rut, okay? I get, I've been in spiritual ruts before. I get in spiritual ruts. So if I get in a spiritual rut, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Let me tell you what I'm not going to do. Here's what I'm 100% not going to do. I'm in a rut, and I just start feeling, I don't even know. You know, uh, like right now, it's hard for me to imagine because it's so good. But I'm in a rut, and I feel like, I don't know, God's not speaking to me like, like he normally does, or I'm not walking closely with him, or I'm just not in sync with, his, with what he's doing around me, or something like that. You know, maybe my discernment's a little bit off or something like that. I don't know. Here's what I'm not going to do. The one thing I am 100% not going to do is just nothing and wait for him to fix it. That is the dumbest idea ever. Like, you, you think, well, I'm just going to keep going to church, and I'm going to keep doing the same thing that I'm doing, and eventually God's going to ping something in me. Where did you get that idea? Like, I'm hitting the panic button. So I'm going to make adjustments to what I'm doing. I think the first thing I'm going to do, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, my first move is going to be 
towards the prayer closet. That's going to be move number one. Number one. I'm not going to come up with a plan or change this. Or I'm going to the prayer closet. And I'm going to pray myself. I'm going to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray until things start changing. That's what's going to happen. But I'm still not going to do the same thing and just wait around. Like I'm seeking. You know what I mean? You, sh you should be seeking. Like this is how I imagine. If I'm in a rut and I'm picturing what does that look like? That looks like Tony is starving. We're all the children of Israel. We've been wandering through the wilderness Manna drops every day. Somehow I missed it, and I'm starving. And you hear all this ruckus outside your tent, and you look out the tent, and Tony's out there running around like a nutcase, hollering at the sky. Because he needs some manna. I need food. I'm hungry. I'm not sitting in my tent going, well, maybe I can hold out till tomorrow. I hope I don't die. No. I'm hungry. I know who has manna. I don't know if he's going to give it to me, but I know who has it, and I know he listens to me. So I'm fixing to start talking to him. It is possible that what you that what got you where you are might be holding you back from where God wants to get you next. See, sometimes you were doing things and they were going good in your life, and that's great. That's awesome. But you know what? What nourished your body when you were two It's not going to cut the grade now. It's, you need, it's different. You don't just keep doing the same thing because, I mean, yeah, it worked there, but, you're, but the point is I'm not the same person. So things, you just got to be open to the reality of what could be going on. See, in the Bible, the Bible teaches us about the past that it's a great tool to learn from, but beware that it's never a crutch to lean on. It's never that. Never that. I mean, it teaches us tons of things. In Amos chapter 5, look, the Lord says, seek me and live. And then he says something very interesting. But don't, don't, don't seek Bethel. Don't enter, enter Gilgal. Or cross over to Beersheba. What are those three cities? Think about the think about the three cities and what God's saying there. See, Bethel, that's the place where Jacob had his amazing dream, built an altar, and made a promise. Right? These are major big time historical cities that the when this was spoken, everybody understood exactly what these cities represented. Gilgal, 
That's the place where the Israelites camped when they first went in the promised land, remember? It's a big place, big moment. You got stones of remembrance. You got all kinds of things going on. Beersheba. That's where Abraham made his treaty with Abimelech. He called on the Lord. Isaac digs a well, builds an altar. Yeah, these are special places with special meaning to God's people. Yes, they, they are. But God says, seek me and live. And he says, but don't go there, don't go there, and don't go there. Don't try to run back to where it was in the past. See, all three of these places held special significance. Yes, big time. Very significant. They were all landmarks along the spiritual journey. That's why I think this verse is so teachable. It teaches us so much because they're landmarks in the spiritual journey. So there's landmarks in your spiritual journey. So you're thinking back going, oh, yeah, those were the good old days. No, those were landmarks in your spiritual journey. Not so you would reminisce about going back to that. Uncle Rico, you can't do that. It's gone. It's a new day. New wine, new wineskins. Move on. See, when you say, oh, if I could just go back to that. So God's dead? He's just dead today? Is that what it is? He's incapable of overwhelming the current situation that you're seeking or we're seeing or whatever's going on. What are we saying about God? In other words, the fact that yesterday he did something amazing ought to equate to, wow, that was amazing. So no matter how bad it looks today, God can blow this thing up beyond your wildest dreams. If he could do that, he could do ten times that now. See? In other words, the past is saying, hey, nothing's impossible for me. That's what God's saying in the past. So that in the present, we would actually live like that were true. Yes. See, the reason God tells, tells his people, don't seek me here, don't seek me here, is because you're not going to find God in the past. He was there. He was there. But you're not going to find him there. And you know why you're not going to find him there? It's not because God's not there. It's because you're not there. And I'm not there. We're here. That's why. That's an important distinction to make. Remember, his name is not I was. It's I am. He didn't tell Moses, well, I was who I was. He said, no, you murdering lunatic who's out in the wilderness with your father-in-law's sheep hiding out for 40 years. You think your life's a waste. You think you can never amount to anything. You think, well, let me, let me just 
strike a match and get this bush going over here and let's have a conversation. Watch what I can do with you. About the time you think, well, it's over. I mean, I don't know. On your, on your, in your, on your worst day, in your worst moment, in your darkest, in, in the dark, I mean, if, if all your biggest fears come true. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like you're on the threshold of depression tonight. Okay. But I just have a question for you. I, I'm not discounting the reality of the problems you're facing in any way, shape, or form. I'm just simply asking a question. Because I got enough problems of my own, I don't need yours. But here's the question. Can God burn a bush in that, in that situation? Can he? I think he can. So many times, I'm, you know, I'm about to have to do something that feels impossible. Like, I got to have a conversation, and it just feels impossible. Like, how do you even have this conversation? How do you even do this? How do you even walk into this moment? How do you, it just feels impossible. But here's what happens. In the moment, I just close my eyes and I just think, you could burn a bush here. And then I just start walking. I don't know if he will, but I know he can. See, if I didn't know he could, I wouldn't, I, I would, I'd just sit there. But so long as I know he can, I can take a step forward. Because I know he can. Because he's the great I am. If we, get, if we obsess over what God did last, we're going to miss what he wants to do next. You see, Moses, it, Moses had to see the burning bush. Can we agree on that? The burning bush didn't, like, it, it's not that Moses, you know, felt the heat of the bush. Or the bush, the Bible doesn't say the bush dropped out of the sky right in front of, he was on a little narrow path, and then the bush dropped on the path. That's not what it says. The Bible says that he saw the bush, and then he walked over to the bush. Is that not what it says? That's what it says. But what if he doesn't see it? I mean, I don't know because he did see it. But I'm just saying that are there times me and you have walked by burning bushes? Missed them because we, were, we weren't paying attention. And why, what were we paying? We were paying attention to what God did instead of what God might do. And so the only thing we're looking for is something that looks like that. Is it possible? I think it is. And I don't know. How many, I, don't know I don't know when I get to the end how many years I have behind me. I just don't know. But, I, but 30 years in, here's what I do know. 
I've seen a lot of people stop living out of imagination. I've seen a lot of people stop dreaming. And just start living from their memory. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm just determined to not ever let that happen. As long as there's breath in my lungs, then God's alive and a bush can start burning. And so I want to believe God for impossible things. And I want to address the things that God wants to be addressed in my life. I want that. Even if it's scary, I still want it. I still want it. I want to be I, I want to be fully alive and present in this moment right now. Don't you? I've told you this before, one of the most helpful things in my life funerals it's one of the most important tools that God uses in my life is our funerals and I tell people when I talk to other pastors and people from other places I tell them that they just can't you know you know they always ask the same question so wait a minute, you're the pastor of the only church you've ever been a part of, and you, you got saved there, and, you're the, and you never left in the middle? Nope, still there. What is that like? And, you know, isn't that hard? And yes, it is. And you know what the hardest part of it all is? Funerals. Because I rarely ever get to bury a stranger. That's the problem. And even if I bury somebody that I really didn't know that good, some of you are out there brokenhearted that I've known for 30 years. It breaks my heart. But it's one of the most valuable things in my life. It's so helpful because it, it, it is a reminder to me to be present in the moment because when you, when you lose somebody, what you realize more than anything else is how precious your moments were. Huh? Yes. And here's the thing. You can, you can live in the past all you want, and it's going to do you no good. As soon as the funeral's over, I go home and I sit down and I tell my family that I love them. And I play with my kids and I hug my wife and I... Because I just got a good reminder that it's not forever. It's valuable. But see, if you don't, if you if that doesn't happen, if you misinterpret the past, you're just gonna get up and, and live tomorrow like you got a thousand more. That's a mistake. You want to be present and in the moment. I want to dream things. I want to. I, when I die, I want to have dreams that didn't get fulfilled when I die. I want to have a whole pocket full of them. Because if I die without dreams, what happened? 
That's a dud. No. See, Paul says in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A very famous passage, and so many wonderful things have been said about this. But have you ever thought about exactly what is Paul saying? What's the picture Paul's painting here? Let me explain it to you in in a visual way. Paul is saying that I realize what's behind me. I realize what's been accomplished in the past. I realize what's happened in the past. I realize all of that. But I am pressing forward in an offensive way. He's not standing back on defense. He's he's offensively going after what's ahead. That's important distinction to understand. He's not playing prevent defense. He's in full court press. That's for you, Jim. It's full court press. He's offensive. Even when he's on defense, he's on offense. He's not letting the other team come to him. He's going after them. And this is, this is the thing. See, the church We should build, we missed a bunch of slides, let me help you. We should build altars to mark holy moments in the past. Sure, good, we should do that. That's important. It's important. We should do it. And you know what? Understand that the purpose of those altars is to remind us of God's faithfulness in the past so that we have the faith to believe in what he'll do next. A hundred percent. And so what Paul's telling us in Philippians 3 is he saying, look, we don't, our goal in Christ is not to, is not to keep the, the dangers of the world from getting us. That's prevent defense. That's trying not to lose. The goal of the Christian life is not try not to lose, it's win. Because he's won. So therefore, the church can never be content by keeping darkness outside. Our calling is to attack the darkness with the light. You take the light and run into the darkness. That's what you do. That's our job. That's our calling, right? But why don't we do that? Why, why so oftentimes are we so timid? I think we're timid because we get comfortable with comfort. That's bad. That's bad. There's a lot of things that, uh, I mean, you know, if you're honest, are, are there things in the Bible you don't like? If, if you said no, you are lying. I mean, of course there are. Lots of them. Tons of them. For example... I'm not real thrilled about the fact that every time in the Bible the, the power of God explodes onto the scene, it took persecution to get there. It's always hardship to get there. 
Not one time is there, is there people basking in the blessing of God, attacking the darkness with the light. So it forces me to reckon with this issue of, I'm not crazy. I don't want uncomfortable. But I need it. And I have to wrestle with that. And go, see, comfort's dangerous. It's scary. It's dangerous. Most Christians today will follow Christ right to the edge of inconvenience, but no further. They just get right up on the edge of it. And that's when you need a good friend who'll kick you in the butt right off the cliff. You know, they, they coerce you into coming with them right up to the edge of inconvenience. And then you look and they go, yeah, shove you right off. Because in Mark chapter 10, this issue of greatness, Jesus says, again, we talk about this all the time, but whoever would be great among you would be a servant. Whoever would be first would be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It, but it's just so telling. It's so telling that everybody gets saved in it, the moment of conversion and that, that early, you know, baby Christianity want to be great for God until they find out what it takes to be great for God. Right? I mean, come on. I'm not knocking the fact that, you know, you're like, Going at the cliffs high, and it's scary, and it, it looks dangerous, and all of those things are true. But I'm jumping. I'm jumping. And don't be, if you're standing next to me, you're coming with me. If I can reach you, you're going with me. I'm taking everybody as far, as many as I can with me. I mean... So you, you got to be willing to, what do you got to do? Because notice, Jesus says, here's how you're great in the kingdom of God. And then he ends by saying, and in case you don't get that, here's why I'm great. That's what Jesus says. This is why I'm great, because of what I did. So that means for me and you, we got to be willing to leave the seat of honor and take the lowest place at the table. we got to be willing to go from first to last. I mean, you, you really, you really gotta, gotta, yeah, you, you gotta sacrifice. You gotta, you gotta give up on, you gotta let go of things. You gotta, And when it comes to the past, was it great? Yeah. Was it fun? Yeah. Were we glad we were there? Yes. Did God do amazing things? Yes. But you got to let go. 
as that was then. And this is now. What's he doing now? What's he doing now? What's he saying today? What's going on in your life now? Tomorrow. It's going to be here in a blink of an eye. And if you're not careful and you say, well, I don't know. Pastor, you're making me uncomfortable. No, I don't, I don't want to think about this. I, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote myself to And then a month passes and nothing changed. And two months and nothing changed. And three months and nothing changed. And, then when, and the next thing you know, you're just a hamster in a wheel. And you know what I know about the God of the universe? He, he hasn't stopped working. I'm not talking about just in your life, but he hasn't stopped working. And you know, here's what happened. Here's, here's the thing. Other people at your job are seeing burning bushes. Other people in your neighborhood are seeing burning bushes. Other people in your family are seeing burning bushes. And you missed them. You walk right past them. Because it was so bad. You know what happens to us when it gets bad? When it gets, when the worst things get, the, 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 how do I want to say this? The worst things get, the less likely we are to look for a burning bush. When, when things are, are terrible, all we can see is what's terrible. But that's terrible. And I'm not saying that's not terrible. But that's not the only thing, is it? It's not the only thing. God's still lighting bushes on fire. He's doing it all the time. He's doing it in some of your lives in this room. And you know right now you're thinking about, man, that, that's the truth. And praise God. Jesus set that example for us. You know, it's an upside-down kingdom. So if it's an upside-down kingdom, come on, one more thing and we're going to go home. It's an upside-down kingdom. So just think about what's tearing you up right now. Think about what's got you tangled, twisted. If I said, what's the one thing in your life right now that is you wish was going the other direction? Whatever that thing is, I just want you to hear something. Okay, it's bad. It's painful. It's hard. It's inconvenient. It's whatever it is, it is. But is it not true that a step down in the kingdom of God is a step up?
Is that not what Jesus said? A step down is a step up. So you're saying, but all I do is step down, Pastor. All I do is step down. Yeah. The problem is you don't see. You're in the earthly kingdom. In God's kingdom, down is up. Up is down. Yeah. It is. So maybe, maybe it's, maybe we just say, hey, if I'm willing to be demoted by men, then I'm ready to be promoted by God. You know, it's, that's what it feels like, doesn't it? The world's winning. So many times when things are bad, spiritually bad, the world's winning. Or at least you're not winning. And you may not be winning in that area of your life. Okay. But that's not the only thing going on, is it? You know? Don't, don't let your imagination die. It takes imagination to be a biblical Christian. Still dream and wonder and read the Bible and, and, and still get your mind blown and go, What? God said that? That's awesome. And I know there's a lot of things in my life that look terrible right now, but man, God said that, and that is awesome. And I start imagining, what would it be like if, if God did that? What, what, if, what would it be like? You know, and the thing is, is while I'm trying to figure out how to fix this bad problem that I'm working on, I'm still wondering, is there a bush burning around here? Because he can light one. And then at the end of the day, I go, but there's tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. I want to go to bed at night dreaming about what it would be like tomorrow if that bush is burning. Man, and I see that burning bush, and I go over to that bush, and I still got all these problems over here, and I stick my face down there by that fire. And he says, I am, Tony, I still I am. Father, thank you for tonight. Thanks for our family. God, fill us. Fill us with the reality of who you are. Help us to discern the path.